The Devil Within, the hit true crime podcast, is back with a terrifying journey into the mind of a madman. In the 1970s, New York City had it all. Hip-hop, punk rock, and the Son of Sam. The Devil Within, a season in hell, is available now wherever you get your podcasts. Do you want to listen ad-free? You can do that now by joining our Patreon or hitting that subscription button on Apple Podcasts. Spotify listeners, we've got you too. All you got to do is in your Spotify app, search The Murder Diaries ad-free. Welcome back to another episode of The Murder Diaries. We're so excited to tell you that today's episode is recorded at Spotify Studios in LA. As always, I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. Just five years old, always had a smile on her face and the cutest giggle you've ever heard. Curly blonde hair, brown eyes, and a great big smile. She loved to play with purses, makeup, just a total girly girl. Then one night, she vanished. She simply went to bed and has never been seen again. Her name is Haley Cummings, and this is her story. You still think it's in my head, but I'm walking with the dead. Haley Ann Marie Cummings was born August 17, 2003, in Satsuma, Florida. Satsuma is a small town about 90 miles north of Orlando. Her parents were Ronald and Crystal. They were teenagers when they had her, and they never got married. 18 months after Haley was born, they welcomed another child, Ronald Jr. By all accounts, Haley was a very happy and loving child. Actually, everyone called her little mama because of how sweet and caring she was towards her little brother, Ron Jr. Just two years after Haley was born, in 2005, Ron and Crystal broke up. There was a nasty custody battle over the children. Ronald accused Crystal of using cocaine and said that she wasn't responsible enough to take care of the kids. Crystal countered by accusing Ron of being a known drug dealer and a, quote, violent and impulsive man. In the end, the judge sided with Ronald. Ronald was granted full custody because his job could possibly lead to benefits like health insurance, which was more promising than Crystal's current unemployed situation at the time. Crystal moved onto her mom's farm in Baker County, Florida, not far from the Florida-Georgia border. She saw the kids every other weekend. Ron and the two kids had settled in on Green Lane in Hermit's Cove along the St. John's River. The Associated Press described the mobile home as being hidden beneath towering trees at the end of a sparsely populated rural dirt street. Aside from that, there was a big yard for the kids to play in and a river was close by. Over the next several years, Ron stepped up and raised Haley and her brother as a single father. He and Haley were inseparable. They did everything together. She was definitely a daddy's girl. Ron did have some run-ins in the past with the law, mostly drug-related, but almost everyone said that he was a dedicated and loving father. In the fall of 2008, Haley started kindergarten at Browning Pierce Elementary School. She was said to be a very smart girl. She loved computers, nail polish, and eating mac and cheese. At the start of the school year, now 25-year-old Ron met 17-year-old Misty Crossland. He actually met her at the school's bus stop. No, Misty did not have kids, but her nephew rode the same bus as Haley. 
Misty's life wasn't necessarily what you would picture for a 17-year-old. She dropped out of school in seventh grade and reportedly couldn't read or write. She signed up to get her GED, but she never followed through. She did dabble with drugs, although that probably didn't bother Ron. At the time, Satsuma had a pretty rough drug problem. It's that cliche of there just isn't much else there to do. Not that that's an excuse, of course. Misty started babysitting for Haley and her younger brother while Ronald was at work. Before long, Misty and Ronald began dating, and Misty moved into the double-wide with them. Ronald's grandmother told the Florida Times Union the children adored Misty, and she seemed to adore them back. In fact, Misty is known to have said that the children thought of her as their mother. On February 7th and 8th, 2009, Misty was supposed to watch the kids while Ron worked the second shift as a crane operator for a bridge manufacturing company. But before the weekend kicked off, Misty and Ronald got into a fight, and Misty had stormed out. She didn't return home until the afternoon of February 9th. According to the Florida Times Union, Misty had been hanging out at a friend's house during this time and went on a, quote, drinking, drugs, and sex bender. Ronald was angry with her because he depended on her to watch the kids while he worked. He tried calling her, but he wasn't able to reach her. When he went to her friend's house to try and talk to Misty, he was told that he couldn't see her. Ron's grandmother actually ended up having to watch the kids. When Misty eventually returned home on February 9th, she said that she would watch the kids while Ronald went to work. What happened after Ronald left for his shift in the early evening is still unclear. Ronald's grandmother stopped by around 7.30 to drop the children's clothes off that they had left at her house while they were with her. The grandmother said when she got there, Misty, Haley, and Ron Jr. were all on the porch eating hamburger helper for dinner. The Florida Times Union reported that Ronald repeatedly tried calling Misty to check in on them while they were together that evening, but she never answered. Ronald eventually called Misty's brother to see if he knew where she was, but he didn't. So then Ron asks him to drive by the house and check on Misty and the kids. Misty's brother kind of has two different parts to his story. And the first part, he says that he stopped by and smokes a joint with his sister at an undetermined time of day. The two part, or whatever, and then he comes back by the house at 9.45 p.m. At that time, he says all the lights were off. He knocks and then bangs on the door, trying to get his sister to respond, but no one answered, so he left. Now, Ronald didn't get home from work until around 3.25 a.m. When he arrived, Misty was still awake and frantic. She quickly expressed to him that she couldn't find Haley anywhere. At 3.27, Misty called 911 and said, I just woke up and our back door is wide open and I can't find my daughter. Meanwhile, Ronald is running around the house searching for Haley. The dispatcher could actually hear Ronald in the background becoming increasingly agitated. He shouted that the police needed to get there right away. The dispatcher assured that the police were indeed on their way. While Misty was trying to describe Haley and what she was wearing, which was pajamas, Ronald interrupted to say, I need somebody to get here now. I just got home from work. My five-year-old daughter is gone. I need somebody to get here now. I'm telling you, if I find whoever has my daughter before you do, I will kill them. I don't care if I spend the rest of my life in prison. You can put that on recording. I don't care. The call then ended. The dispatcher called back, but Ron grew more upset until deputies arrived at 3.40 a.m. When they arrived, Ron was standing in the driveway waiting for them. He informed them that he had a 9mm pistol inside 
and that if they did find and arrest the person who took Haley, he was going to shoot them through the back window of the police car. Officers searched the house and the neighborhood, but didn't find Haley. The police couldn't find any signs of forced entry. The back storm door, however, was propped open with a cinder block, and the main door was slightly ajar. A piece of clothing lay next to the cinder block. Halfway down the ramp, leading off the back door, police found Haley's blanket. It's important to note here that Ron didn't recognize or know where this cinder block came from. It wasn't one that they ever used to keep that back storm door open. Police then ended up discovering that this cinder block had previously been behind the outside water tank. Officers questioned Misty extensively. She said that she put the kids to bed in the main bedroom around 8.15 p.m. after watching a movie, Airbud. It was one of Haley's favorites. Misty also included that Haley wore a pink Hannah Montana shirt to sleep. After putting the kids to bed, Misty stayed up and watched movies for a few hours and cleaned up. Before heading to bed around 10 p.m., she made sure that all the doors were locked and closed and that all the lights were off before she crept into bed with the kids. She woke up at 3 a.m., which now makes it February 10th, to get a drink of water. That's when she noticed that the screen door was propped open with that cinder block. She then returned to the bedroom and couldn't find Haley. Rightfully so, investigators asked Misty why she waited until Ron got home at 3.25 a.m., before calling 911. She said that she had spent that time searching for Haley under beds. Misty also took that time to shower before police arrived. Police were immediately suspicious of Misty's story, but finding Haley was their top priority. Misty and Ron were taken down to the station and interviewed separately, both later released. Hundreds of volunteers joined in the search for Haley. Bloodhounds and helicopters were brought in to help and search the perimeter. The hounds led investigators to the river, so boats were brought in to calm the water. Unfortunately, the river presented several challenges. It has a very strong tide and a large alligator population. Authorities admitted the chances of finding Haley's body in the water were, quote, very, very slim. A command center with 20 agents working around the clock was set up near the Cummings' home. Crime scene investigators were not able to collect enough DNA to identify a suspect. They did, however, find a spot of Haley's blood smeared on the side of a small mattress, but it was unclear if that was from the night she disappeared or not. They also found a small trace of blood in the bathroom, but they weren't able to match that to anybody. There were no detectable smells of bleach or household cleaners to indicate that someone had tried to clean up a crime scene or anything like that. An Amber Alert was issued February 10th at 9.30 a.m., and local authorities brought in the FBI for assistance. Officials told the media it was too soon to know if Haley had been kidnapped or had simply wandered off by herself. Quote, at this point, all we know is that we have a missing little girl. Ron and Crystal tearfully spoke to the media. Ron begging for her safe return, Crystal standing silently behind him holding a picture of Haley. Ron and Crystal both had solid alibis and were immediately ruled out as suspects. Crystal had been at her mother's farm in Baker County when Haley went missing and Ron, as we know, was at work, and this was confirmed by his coworkers. Police would not let anyone back in Ron's house. Ron and Crystal slept in separate tents not far from it so that they could be close by if there were any breaks in the case. The community started rallying around them, and neighbors brought them things like support and food. In a strange true crime crossover, George Anthony, grandfather of Kaylee Anthony, reached out to offer help, but Ronald declined. 
The search continued on February 11th. 150 officers from 20 different agencies joined in. Checkpoints were established and every vehicle leaving the neighborhood was searched. Investigators went door to door, interviewing neighbors, looking for any clue to support the theory that Haley may have just wandered off. No neighbors saw anything that night, though. Family members were also interviewed, and they were all said to have been cooperative. When they brought Misty back in for questioning again, she told a different story. She said that she put Haley to bed on a small mattress on the floor, their beds being just a few feet apart. What remained consistent is that she said she didn't hear anyone come in and take her. At one point, Misty picks up a pink Hannah Montana shirt from the laundry pile and said, this is the shirt that she had on when she went to bed. Then she didn't have a shirt when she left. That same day, investigators informed them that they couldn't find any evidence to support the theory that Haley had just wandered off. That's when they began treating her disappearance as an abduction. On February 12th, the searches continued, focusing this time on a five-square-mile area. A team of investigators interviewed more than 40 sex offenders who lived near the Cummings' home. Their homes were all searched, but they were cleared of wrongdoing. That same day, Ronald and Crystal spoke to several media outlets. Ron told NBC's Today Show that he didn't believe Haley wandered off. He said, I know somebody took her. I know for a fact she didn't wander off. She's afraid of the dark. Crystal agreed that someone took Haley. With tears streaming down her face, she said, I just want my baby here. I just want them to bring my baby back. Misty told News 4 Jax that she had woken up to use the bathroom, but never made it there because she saw a light on in the kitchen. Missy said that she was sure she had turned the lights off before going to bed, so she knew something was wrong or out of place. That's when she walked into the kitchen and saw the back door open. According to the police report, Missy had previously said that she woke up to get a drink of water, but never mentioned the bathroom. And by February 13th, investigators had received dozens of tips, but they didn't have any suspects, saying they were still looking at all possibilities. And now a word from today's sponsor. Gift giving is a major love language in my family. I love gift giving, but we all know it can really add up, especially if you have a big family like I do. That's why this holiday season, I'm shopping Quince. Quince is my go-to place for luxury essentials at affordable prices for everyone on my list, including myself. Because let's face it, your girl spoiled herself. I got this adorable crossbody bag in an emerald color and an adorable, fashionable, organic cotton sweater that I can't wait for everyone to see. Like Natalie said, Quince is affordable. They're 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They did that by partnering directly with top factories. They cut out the cost of the middleman and passed those savings on to us. The best part about those factories that they partner with is that all of them use safe and responsible manufacturing practices with their premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. And I can definitely feel that in my rich, buttery, organic cotton sweater that's crew neck and I love it. And oh my God, the t-shirt I got is unmatched. It is so soft. And they look really cute on you too. Thank you. <laughs> Get affordable luxury for everyone on your list with Quince. Go to quince.com slash diaries for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's quince, Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash diaries to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash diaries. Happy shopping. 
Authorities announced on February 17th that they were scaling back the search unless a new tip came in. They wanted to spend their efforts working through the nearly 1,200 tips that had already come in. One of these tips claimed that Misty lied about where she was the night of Haley's disappearance. The tip went on to say that Misty left the house later February 9th or early February 10th. Authorities said they were following up on the accusation. Investigators were growing increasingly suspicious of Misty. Everything kept coming back to her, not to mention she was the last person to see Haley. And her story isn't the most consistent. One investigator who spent a long time interviewing her said, Misty has never had the same story. She was somewhat rehearsed in the beginning. At first, she said that she woke up because she was thirsty. Another time, it was because she had to use the bathroom. Police also suspected that the crime scene may have been staged. From the start, the evidence didn't mesh with Misty's version of events. Remember, she said she locked up before bed, but there were no signs of forced entry found by law enforcement. So the question remains, how was the door opened if not forced or left open by Misty herself? It should be noted, though, that there wasn't evidence that anyone had entered through that door. There was a pile of clothes in front of the door and it hadn't been disturbed. On top of that laundry pile was the Hannah Montana shirt Misty says Haley had worn to bed. It remained pretty unclear whether somebody had broken in and Misty just hadn't heard anything. The aluminum door that had been propped open slams pretty loud when it closes, but another question that law enforcement had is, why wouldn't Misty have heard that if someone walked through that door and took Haley? Haley was also known to be a bit of a chatty girl, so if a stranger would have abducted her without making a sound, that would have been really odd. This made authorities think that maybe an abductor would have been somebody that wasn't a stranger to her. Investigators also wanted to know why did she need to take a shower before they arrived? There was just, quote, little inconsistencies that were starting to build up. Misty told media outlets on multiple occasions that she had passed multiple polygraph tests, but police said that was not true. They told HLN that she failed miserably each and every one of them. On February 20th, Misty went on to NBC's Today Show. She denied the report that she wasn't home at the time of Haley's disappearance like the neighbors had claimed that she may have left. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. Whenever investigators felt like one of the tips they were working with seemed legit, they would do another ground search. Media coverage of Haley's disappearance did start to slow down by March. And on March 10th, authorities and Haley's family held a press conference. It had been a month since Haley had gone missing. Investigators thanked the family and local residents for their help in trying to find her. Ron added at the press conference, please, if you have my daughter, bring her home, please. He said if Haley was watching, he wanted her to know that he loved her. He also thanked investigators for their hard work. On March 12th, about 100 deputies conducted more ground searches. Investigators said the searches were not related to any new information. They were just checking places they hadn't looked before. That same day, Ron and Misty spontaneously got married in their friend's yard. When the media asked the couple about the marriage, Misty said Haley would have wanted it. 
She said Haley always talked about wanting Ron and Misty to get married. Police were skeptical. They believed Ron may have married Misty because she was underage and he was worried charges would be brought against him. On March 13th, Ronald and Misty returned to NBC's Today Show to say they didn't want the media to focus on their personal life, but instead focus on finding Haley. When asked if Misty thought police considered her a suspect, she said no. Ronald agreed and said one of the detectives had told him Misty wasn't a suspect. Crystal went on national television on March 20th and accused Ron of being an abusive father. Ron then hired an attorney to defend himself against the allegations. DCF investigated these claims, but several months later, the Orlando Centennial reported DCF had closed the case with finding no evidence of abuse. Coverage of Haley's story started to wane as police continued to follow up on tips. At the end of June, investigators brought in cadaver dogs and divers to search the Baker County farm where Crystal and her mother Marie lived. Though Calistar Banner reported that the search was not related to any tips police had received, authorities were just making sure to leave no stone unturned. No evidence related to the case was found on that 30-acre farm. By August 17th, Haley's sixth birthday arrived. Investigators announced they'd followed up on over 4,000 leads, conducted 138 formal interviews, plus countless informal ones. Most of the interviews included collecting DNA samples. DNA and fingerprint evidence from the crime scene was also tested, but none of it led to an arrest or even to identifying a suspect. Investigators announced publicly for the first time they didn't believe a stranger kidnapped Haley. They also made it clear Ron and Crystal were not suspects. As for Misty, they said she continues to hold important answers in this case. She has failed to provide any sort of detailed accounting of the hours during the late evening and early morning of Haley's disappearance. Furthermore, physical evidence at the scene contradicts Misty's sketchy account of her evening activities. But to be clear, Misty has never officially been named as a suspect in Haley's disappearance. In September of 2009, the L Pond in southern Putnam County was drained. According to the Ocala Star Banner, officers received a tip that Haley may have been taken to a party and died there from a drug overdose, then dumped in the pond. But the search of the pond didn't turn anything up. On October 7th, Ron appeared on the Nancy Grace show and announced there he'd filed for divorce from Misty, citing irreconcilable differences. The divorce was said to be amicable. They, quote, both agreed it's time to move on. Their life together is miserable under all the media scrutiny. Misty herself went on CBS, the early show, two days later on October 9th. She maintained her innocence, saying those who suspect her are wasting their time. She said Ron didn't think that she was guilty and police had looked into her more than anyone else and had not found any proof that she had taken Haley or had anything to do with her disappearance. Misty then goes on to say that she suspected Crystal's family of being involved in Haley's disappearance, but didn't elaborate any further. Ron's attorney was quick to tell the Orlando Centennial that Misty's statement was absolutely ludicrous. He said that was stated merely for the purposes of deflecting attention away from her. On October 15th, Misty and Ronald's divorce became final, but they still kept in touch. Unfortunately, both fell back into their old habits of drug abuse. Investigators received a tip that Misty had been attempting to sell a large quantity of pain pills. They set up a sting operation that lasted several months. The Orlando Centennial reported that during the sting, an undercover detective purchased $3,900 worth of oxycodone and hydrocodone from Misty, Ron, 
Misty's brother, Ron's cousin, and Misty's friend. Not all five people were present at every drug deal, but Misty was. On January 20th, 2010, all five individuals were arrested and charged with multiple counts of drug trafficking. Because Misty had been involved with every deal, she was charged with eight counts of trafficking, while Ron was charged with five. Both faced a minimum of 25 years in prison. The other three people involved were charged with only one count each. They were facing between three and 15 years. Police were quick to point out that the drug charges were totally unrelated to Haley's disappearance. That may have been true, but investigators were hoping they might cut a deal with one of them. Tell us what happened to Haley and we'll help reduce your drug charge. But no one came forward with any new info. Of course, police monitored all five people's phone calls closely. Misty told her parents that police kept asking her for information about Haley, but she didn't know anything. The one-year anniversary of Haley's disappearance was observed in February 2010. Investigators told media Haley's case was still an active one. They made sure to restate that Misty was not a suspect, even though they still believed she knew more than she was telling them. By April, Misty and her brother tried cutting a deal with law enforcement. Her brother told investigators on the night of Haley's disappearance that he and his cousin went to the Cummings' home around midnight. They were looking for a World War II-era machine gun to deer hunt with. It wasn't there, so they took Haley, who was screaming, and put her in a black bag. Misty's brother and his friend then drove Haley, who was now, quote, limp and quiet, to a St. John's riverboat ramp. They tied a concrete block with a rope to Haley, then threw her in the water and left. Her brother said he never told Misty about that part. Misty repeated a similar story. She said she hid under the covers with Haley's little brother when the attack happened. She heard a van door slide open and close, and a bag or something similar placed over Haley's head. She didn't know what happened after that. After these pretty sketchy confessions, investigators interviewed the friend with his attorney present. It's unclear what was said, but he seems to have maintained his innocence throughout. Investigators, thinking that they were finally making progress, searched the St. John's River for three straight days. A concrete block with rope tied to it was found, but lab results determined it was from a different time period. Police announced they believed Haley was most likely dead and were now classifying her case as a homicide. They said over the past few weeks, information has been obtained by investigators that led them to believe Haley Cummings was most likely deceased. It is a very real possibility Haley died within their search area. They didn't elaborate further on what led them to search the specific area. Investigators said they had identified several persons of interest but would not be releasing their names. They still believed Misty was the key to the case. To try and get a confession out of Misty, investigators took her down to the river, but all she did was cry. On the ride home, she said, never mind, I'm not telling the truth. According to News 4 Jax, Misty did not tell investigators anything else. Her brother then admitted that he'd made the whole story up about him and his friend in hopes of cutting a deal for a reduced sentence. Misty and her brother had ruined his friend's life with false accusations and cruelly raised the hopes of Haley's family that they might get closure. In May, Florida Today reported that Ronald had been negotiating a plea deal for a 15-year sentence in exchange for testifying for the state in future cases involving the drug charges or Haley's disappearance. He later accepted this deal and was sentenced to 15 years. Misty and her brother pleaded no contest to their charges. Misty was sentenced to 25 years while her brother was given 15. 
Her cousin and her friend were also sentenced to 15 years. In May 2011, after Misty was sentenced, she gave the Orlando Centennial an interview. Maintaining her innocence in Haley's disappearance, she said, I'm not the key to this at all. Because if I knew something, they would have known it from day one. I just don't understand why they keep saying this about me. Misty once again changed her story. She went back to saying she fell asleep with Haley and her brother, and when she woke up, Haley was gone. Misty then went on to blame Ron's, quote, risky lifestyle as a drug dealer for Haley's abduction. She said Ron had many enemies and debts, which could have led to Haley being kidnapped. Misty said after Haley disappeared, a stranger approached Ron and told him, quote, Mexicans have her. Misty didn't know the man or how he knew Ron. She said Ron owed money to people who helped support his drug habit. She thought maybe they kidnapped Haley for a ransom. Misty also said she received a letter and a photo from a man who said he had recently seen Haley in Kentucky. The Orlando Centennial spoke with authorities about the case. They still, quote, strongly believed Misty had the information that could prove how and when Haley went missing. They knew Misty had given them many different stories and was withholding info. With the drug cases wrapping up, coverage of Haley's story fizzled out. Investigators released an age progression photo of what Haley might look like at eight years old. In January 2016, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children released another picture of what Haley might look like at age 12. Investigators told the media the case was still open and they would not give up trying to find Haley. By the 10th anniversary of her disappearance in 2019, Haley's case was still open, but it had gone cold. Former detectives who had worked on Haley's case spoke to News 4 Jacks about their own theories as to what happened. A retired Putnam County Sheriff's detective who was in charge of the Cummings case in 2009 and the chief investigator for the state attorney's office for Florida's 7th Judicial Circuit said there was nothing at the scene that indicated any type of foul play. The detective went on to say that he can't believe someone snuck into the house and kidnapped Haley without being heard or seen. Neither of the men could believe that she was taken by a stranger. They assured that multiple people had come forward to say that they saw Haley at a party in a nearby town of Palatka hours before she was reported missing. The detective's theory is, quote, I think someone gave the child some drugs or the child got some drugs accidentally and she died and people panicked and had to get rid of her body. Ron was released from Lake Correctional Institution in Claremont, Florida in fall 22. He had served 12 of his 15-year sentence. Despite wanting to get back to the search to Haley, just two months after his release, he was arrested on Christmas Day for a DUI. His Hyundai Sonata crashed into a road sign and he was found unconscious with the motor running and a bottle of liquor in his lap. The incident report said he appeared severely intoxicated and ignored requests to stop trying to restart his car. Ron pushed the deputy and tried to grab his pistol from his holster. He was charged with, quote, battery on a law enforcement officer, trafficking oxycodone, possession of a controlled substance without a prescription, resisting an officer with violence, obstructing police by depriving means of communication, and possession of marijuana and drug equipment possession. He was held on a $185,000 bond. Misty is still behind bars and isn't due to be released until June 2031. Her prison discipline reports say that she's been written up from making threats, possession of contraband, a sex act, and tobacco possession. Sadly, there are no more updates or developments in Haley's case. Much of the media coverage has focused on Ron and Misty, so let's take a few moments and bring it back to Haley. 
As a reminder, Haley was five years old when she went missing on February 10th, 2009. She was three feet, three inches tall, and weighed 39 pounds. She's Caucasian with curly blonde hair and brown eyes. She has a four-inch round birthmark on the lower left side of her back and two birthmarks on her face, one on her left cheek and one on her right jawline. I want to take a moment to note here too, it's so often to have blonde hair when you're younger, so keep in mind Haley's hair could have darkened over time. Haley was a smart girl who loved to play with makeup, purses, and was a big girly girl. Haley's great-grandmother said, that beautiful smile and that cute little giggle that she had. She was the most adorable little child. I mean, she always had a smile on her face. I wonder now, is she still that way? Does she still smile all the time? Or is she different now? How much has her personality changed? Today, Haley would be 19 years old. Haley's family is still desperate to find out what happened to her. If you have any information about Haley's case, please contact the Putnam County Sheriff's Office at 888-277-8477. A $15,000 reward is available for anyone providing information that leads to her whereabouts. Haley's grandmother says all it could take is to have that one person with a tidbit of information to come forward and just tell somebody, hey, I know this. Tell it, please. Haley deserves justice and to be brought home one way or another to give her family closure. Be sure to follow us on socials at the Murder Diaries Pod. Today's episode was recorded at Spotify Studios LA. Until next time, stay safe. Bye. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.